Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. Okay, let's rock and roll. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Coach Dan John. Dan has coached, I think, I think you've been coaching fitness longer than I've been alive. I'm in my mid-30s. I know you've oh, been yeah. a long time, <laughs> for a long time, um, specifically in weightlifting, throwing, um, uh, uh, is also a university educator. You've written over a dozen books. You've been writing for, um, I think, every fitness website I've ever looked at. Uh, I think I found an article of you on there at one point. He's the creator of the 10,000 Swing Kettlebell Workout. And I, I've come to know you as the creator, the originator of the Goblet Squat, which, you know, ironically, is probably one of my most staple exercises with general pop people. So, Dan, John, thanks so much for coming on the Project Fitness Podcast. Sure. What year were you born? 84. Yeah, so I was only coaching five years by the time you were born. So I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess uh, you're the founder. But I've been lifting 19. So. Yes, and I, I also must say congratulations on your recent American record. Yeah, thank you. Kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's just cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm 65. So, and I've had some issues mostly this year. And it's funny people get well the surgeries. No, I train in my garage. In my garage. Are uh, you guys Celsius up there? Yes. Yeah, so we're minus eight uh, from my, my Americans. We're at 18 degrees. Uh, trying to do the Olympic lifts with a barbell in minus eight is eye-opening. It, uh, it's real hard to be flexible, real hard to be mobile, real hard to really want to do second reps. Uh, you do one, you put your hand down, you go, what was I thinking? And then, uh, so uh, I'll have to figure out something, and, but or I'm not going to. My my. If you don't mind me going on a, a little thing here, Chris, but uh, so I have a great respect for the four seasons. I try to, uh, I alter my diet by the four seasons, but I think a lot of people don't alter their training by the four seasons. And what the sentence I just said to you right there is important in the winter, getting ready for an Olympic lifting meet. Um, I have to make compromises because the gym is so cold when when falls around, I can do a 12 week program and go, why was I being such a sissy back in the, you know, last January and then January rolls around and it's freezing cold. And all I want to do is, you know, I want to do TRX wearing gloves and I want to do kettlebells wearing gloves and I want to wear, put on more clothes. And, and so I think there's some value in embracing the seasons as an athlete and, and making adjustments towards it so that in certain times of year, you you know, when you go outside after a long, cold winter, and of course, up in Ontario, you you would know about that. And uh, But then you go outside, and there's certain things that happen. And then, of course, in the middle of your workout, you're complaining about the mosquitoes, or you complain about, you know, and that's good, too, you know, and you, it keeps your brain active, it keeps your brain thinking, yeah. So what would you do, like, uh, with your lifting, would you just reduce your total volume? Would you reduce, uh, would you do, like, single sets? In, in the most basic way, uh, so I would say fall to me is back to school time in here in the United States. It's football, very disciplined sport. So for me, I think fall is the best time to follow discipline programs. Mm -hmm. uh, winter, go heavy, go hard, go home. Spring, you want to break outside. Uh, you want to start adding uh, 
we really up the volume of our loaded carries when spring comes around. We, we do a lot more medicine ball, like we play catch with medicine balls outside, not, not 50 miles away, but just, you know, outside. Mm-hmm. And when summer comes around, you know, um, we hang out at, you know, we, we go for long walks and, and, and I got, a, I got a beautiful area just next, uh, just to the east of me. Uh, of course I got the mountains, uh, you, I go swimming, I play more, I laugh more, I ride my bike around a lot, you know, uh, I throw stuff in the, and, and so that's how I see it, you know, it, and it, in the traditional schedule I grew up in as an American, you know, I did football in the fall and then I wrestled in the winter. I did track and field. I was a hurdler and a discus thrower. I became a very good discus thrower, but I like, I learned a lot from hurdling and summer I played um, both basketball and soccer, uh, soccer football. And I look back on that now and I was like, that was a really good way to go through my adolescent years because mm-hmm. it really allowed me to have a lot of, qu- I was constantly working on different qualities. Yeah. And, yeah that's uh, a very tradi- traditional model. I've heard that many times before talking to more seasoned athletes who they played sports per season, not specificity and staying with one sport year round. Do you think there's some utility for today's athlete to do a similar progress? Well, I think you're crazy to focus on a sport too early. Now, I get it. In golf, in chess, and with classical instruments, the rule of 10,000 works. So if you teach your kid at age two to start golfing, like, I mean, remember, Tiger Woods was on a national television show called The Merv Griffin Show, hitting putts as a two-year-old. Well, go chess golf classical instruments all have instantaneous feedback but the problem is you know i i i know hockey is huge here but you can do all the dry land skills in the world as a hockey player and you can do all these wonderful stick handling drills around cones you know maybe on a tennis court but it's radically different to be skating backwards and having someone punch you in the face and do that stick handling drill Hmm. so my argument is always that you want to be involved in as many two people I trust a lot. John Powell, former world record holder in the discus, and Tommy Kono, multi-Olympic gold medalist, uh, great Olympic American lifter. They both basically said, if you're not world class in two to three years after you, after you become one, a one sport person, you're not going to be good enough. So when you're sitting down and telling me that little Bertha at age 14 is a world-class uh, soccer or rugby or fill in the blank player. So she's, we're just going to have her focus on whatever. If in three years, she's not on the national team, she's not on an international team, then you just have to t- look, sit her down and say, you're not good enough. You, you tend to see that, you know, the people who go the farthest, they were always the best at whatever sport almost they chose. Right. Like at the low level and like in a high school setting, you know, the pro athlete who eventually went pro in gym class, they were the best at every sport there. They had something. Exactly. And I, and in my experience, you know, when I was, for example, I would just thinking, as you said that, cause I was, I like that. We would talk, talk about that at Utah state when on our track and field team. So Utah state university, a lot of Canadians on the Utah state track team. Hmm. And we try to we try to get rid of them, but damn it, they're sneaky. Nice. Uh, you want to get rid of them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my dad's Canadian. Um, so we, we uh, you know, we would talk about it, and it'd be funny because you know, 
we would be talking about, you know, football and, and, and some of the guys were basketball players, especially the jumper jumping core, but we were all multi-sport athletes and we were all really good multi-sport athletes. When I first taught here down in Salt Lake city, I taught at this Catholic school and these guys were all talking about being all state athletes. And I remember we played a pickup game of football with them and I just freaking dominated these guys. Of course, I'm from California, big state. They're from Utah, population one, a very small state. And a lot of these guys only played high school football. They didn't play any other sports. Mm -hmm. So they got nine games in a year. And I got, gosh, I mean, one year I had 26 track meets. I had a buddy who made a, uh, he tried to throw, I want to say he said 50 Highland games in a year. Well, if you're going to throw in 50 Highland games in a year, uh, weird, weird goal, huh? kind of a little bit different goal. Uh, how much training do you really need? I don't need much, you know, but he wasn't very good. He was going to, I think he would have been better served by, you know, maybe getting in a powerlifting contest or an Olympic lifting contest, or I don't know, uh, you know, so you know what I'm saying? I'm just, so yeah. Even if you decide to go specific, you still need to be well-rounded to pull that off. Yeah, I, I agree. And here in Canada, we, when you see the a lot of the hockey players transition well into golf, well, they've been playing with a stick, right? Yeah. So there, there's always going to be some form of carryover from, from sport to sport. But I agree 100% with what you say is that the well-rounded athlete tends to do better on and specificity comes a little bit down the road. Well, there's now, a the Freakonomics book talks about Canadian hockey, about how many of them uh, what is your cutoff date for hockey players? Uh, it's January 1. And I can't remember what it was, but I, the, the number of great hockey players that were born in November and December, something like that, because in the, when they're five years old, they are four years and 360 days. In many cases, you, if you're born on January 1st and I'm born on December 31st, I'm 365 days older than you at age five. Mm -hmm which is a lot of days, that's 20% more days, yeah. you know, and uh, it's, uh, it was interesting that, that, that one, that one woman picked it up reading a program at a hockey game and the economist went in and studied it mm -hmm. and found it's absolutely your birth date is as important in Canada in some cases as just about any other factor. Yeah. All those areas there, the access to the training you're going to get, the coaching you're going to get, the exposure to it, yeah. I mean, I got two boys born in the summer, so, you know, no benefits, no negatives. It's right in the middle. We'll, we'll be fine. Well, and, and the other thing too, is that if you have four more, the sixth one's going to be the great one. <laughs> the sixth one? <laughs> Why number six? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what the research proved. They, they looked at sprinting, uh, sprinting. I think Usain Bolt is the sixth, sixth mm -hmm. child mm -hmm. because you're constantly, you're constantly trying to keep up. I don't want to brag, but I'm the sixth child. So that kind of. I was know. wondering where that actually went. I did hear, <laughs> did hear Usain Bolt, you know, was, uh, I think, the baby. And I think there was uh, our Canadian sprinter, Ben Johnson, a uh, similar thing to it. He was a baby in his family. So but it, the thing, the, the reason I bring that up is because I always argue geography and genetics are the two most important things. But this, these uh, economists who looked at our, who looked at sports started pulling up these very strange things about being the youngest child mm -hmm. about, you know, um, 
for example, another thing here, we have a, a city just north of me. They have a phenomenal track and field program. And I was at a meet one time. Um, it's not true anymore because of the way the, the city changed, but the grandmother and the mother had both been on this team's track and field program and had gone to these same track meets with their mother and grandmother. And so when they went to the um, the Chris Fudge Invitational, they grandma had been to it as an athlete. Grandma had been to it as a mom. Mom had been to an athlete. And so when you went, they would set up, they knew where to put the tents. They knew where to put what drinks to bring. They knew where to park. They knew... And you're, you, I'm telling you this, and you're like, well, what's the big deal? Those are all, in my world, we call them edges. Mm-hmm. You always look at uh, the perfect, the surfer's looking for the perfect wave. Athletes are looking for the perfect edge. Well, I mean, sure, hockey too, I mean, edge, right? Edge and edge. And what happens is all my job as a head coach sometimes is just to provide more edges than the opposing team. Um, if there's something that comes up in a game and we've practiced it and you haven't, we have an edge. You might out athlete us. You might just be a better athlete. Um, the, the Olympics were is the women's, the men's side with the Americans. They, in the overtime now, they play three on three. Well, if the first time you ever played three on three in your life is in the Olympics, it's a little late. You got no to, edge. <laughs> you got no edge. You, you follow so, so one of the, one of the things that uh, helps interesting. So I've always been saying geography and genetics all these years, but I'm also starting to say, and it's really important that your genetics stay in the geography, you know, cause you'll get those extra edges. You know um, if my family would have stayed in South San Francisco so that my daughters would have competed for South city. And now my grandkids would come up and say, they're great athletes you know, three generations of the same last name is an advantage because people, my name's on the wall at my high school, you know, my daughter's name would be on the wall for the, you know, this, you know, your last name is on the wall and you're 12 years old. Changes, changes. Mm-hmm. Dynamics. Even just expectations. I'm sure you must see that with kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's certain places in the, uh, um, certain last names in certain parts of Canada that dominate hockey in the region. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. And you're right; it, it changes the the expectation, and um, the environment is then going to be uh, varied in someone's favor. Hopefully, in someone's favor. Well, if you're the 13th athlete and they only take 12, but you have the right last name, mm-hmm. you're probably the 12th athlete. Mm-hmm. Very true. So yourself, you grew up. You grew up playing all those different sports, and then mm-hmm. you have. Um, you have been the coach of the coaches, you know, that's kind of how I, I know you as um, with your tutelage and your track record and stuff. Where was the turning point for you to get into coaching? Because you've been coaching as long as you have, I'm sure at one point you're going to say, well, I'm done being an athlete. I mean, you just set a state record. So you continue on as an athlete, but what, what was the turning point? Where you said, I, I like this coaching thing. I want to dip my toe into it. Oh, it was not, it was no, it was, there was no, my senior year at Utah state, actually I lucked out in a way because a decade before, track and field people lifted weights. Mm-hmm. So in the 60s, track and field people lifted weights. And usually it was in a weird, there'd be one bar, crappy setting. Everyone would clean and press. Everyone would do 
some very like weird variations of deadlifts and call it a day. Well, when 75, 76, 77 turn around, that's Arnold, the educational bodybuilder, that's pumping iron, that's Jane Fonda's go for the burn uh, VHS's, uh, it's Joe Weider's muscle and fitness magazine. In a very, very short amount of time, and I'm talking about a, a historical, it was a, a sniff of time. It was a, it was a snap of the fingers. Weightlifting went to bodybuilding and Coach Mon was very concerned that we had gone from people who lift weights to bodybuilding. And so my senior, he called me and he said, would you mind coming back in the fall and taking care of the weight room? And I said, I don't know. He goes, uh, you know, it was nice because I got, I got free tuition. And so that's how I started my master's degree was that. And uh, so I got, you know, basically I was on another scholarship, but this time for my next degree. And I wasn't very good at first. Um, you know, the old joke, if all you have is a hammer, the whole world is a nail. Well, I taught everybody the Olympic lifts and front squats. Uh, didn't matter what event you did. You did the Olympic lifts and front squats. Funny thing is, I look back now and it's like, man, yeah, I, I was actually pretty good. <laughs> was, hey, you couldn't do worse. Almost every sport. I mean, how is that not beneficial, right? Especially no. this is yeah. But then as I got older and I started working with people's uh, issues, uh, injuries, injury records, um, I became a lot more, well, you saw my movement matrix that the original movement matrix was snatch, clean and jerk. And that was it. But then I started backfilling it in to deal with like injuries and things like that. Okay. Is that the thought process behind the goblet squat? The goblet squat, uh, I was real good at teaching. Uh, like I would get, we would get incoming freshmen who had came from like a machine background. They had done leg press, leg extension, leg curl, maybe bench press with free bars. Uh, but they had very little experience with squatting. Mm -hmm. So if I had a division one athlete, I could teach them how to squat in, in days or even groups of three or four or five one-on-one. -on -one. It was no big deal. But when I moved to this large high school and I had a room full of 65, 14-year-olds at once, I had to be a lot more, holy cow, here we <laughs> I mean, uh, you can't turn your back on those guys. You cannot turn your back on a 14-year-old. Something stupid will happen. If you walk in the hallway, something bad will happen. And people always joked about it. And I said, no, it's true. I, I can't, you know. And so what I did is I, I tried a series of things. Now I think it's even simpler how I teach it, but um, it was squatting down and pushing the knees out. Uh, instead, I used to teach the anatomy about how your legs are not on top of your legs. Your body is slung between your legs so that, you know, you're not on your legs. You're, you're slung between your legs. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's what squatting is. You just, you're, you're sliding your body between the legs, not on them, between them. Pushing the knees out with the elbows taught that physically. And it also gave them a chance to sit down there. The harder you push those knees out with the elbows, the more you're, the more this, whatever you want to call this, this, your, 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 your torso slides gently between your legs and you have a nice deep position. Um, I had tried a number of things. The potato sack squat was very good. That's where you hold a weight on the bottom like this and you, you hold it down and kind of like a weird deadlift. A dumbbell? Position. A, a dumbbell? 
It can be a dumbbell. It can be a kettlebell. It can be a, a medicine ball. Okay. Just the weight in front of you between your legs. And then mm-hmm. you know, call it a potato sack squat because I tell you know, I'm Irish. So, you know, picking up a stack of potatoes and uh, there was a few other things, but the goblet squat just by itself just leaped off the map. Yeah. I've been working in um, in a commercial gym in my 15th year commercial gym. So I work with, with, with Gen Pop. Those are my people. And uh, Dan, the, the goblet squat is, <laughs> it's the first thing. It's the first thing for almost everybody, right? Yeah. yeah. I have other, very like I have hinge variations that I recommend people use very early. Uh, that's like, I call it Bulgarian goat bag swings. That's just kind of a joke name, but it's where you hold the, you hug a load here, or you can hold a dumbbell. You can hold a kettlebell here, whatever. It helps to have the weight pushing into your ab wall and you just do a hinge with it. Mm-hmm. Just do a hinge with it till you feel your hamstring stretch. And people look up at me and go, is that what the guy was trying to tell me? I, I, what are you talking about? Well, and they'll talk about trying to deadlift. And this strange phrase, don't use your legs, like you could, I know, don't use your back. Well, I understand what don't use your back means, but that's not a good way to explain it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're, you're, so basically, I think, Chris, if you can remember that the squat, you're sliding between your legs and with the, the hinge movements, you're sliding your butt backwards between your legs, you know, I, 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 it's not a good example, not a good way to explain it. I understood it perfectly. No one else on the planet just did, but uh, that's, that's you how it you can feel when you utilize exactly what you just mentioned. For anyone listening right now, when you hold a weight and then you try to sink between your legs, as you said, you, the sling between the legs, your body's going down there. People should be able to feel that when you talk about grabbing that sack of potatoes or a load in front of you, and then you hinge and bend. I think you said you should feel tension through the hamstrings. Hamstrings. So again, these are, these are, I know, I know what you're saying. The words you're saying are then eliciting a feel sensation. And I guarantee anyone who does either or will be like, oh, now I, now I feel it. Now I, I feel it. I feel the slant tension. But you know, you know, it's hard. The problem we have as humans in 2022 is people like things explained to them and it's nearly impossible to. So why do you lift on the platform? Well, after that third attempt that I looked down and the referees got white lights and I've done dieting and I'm done traveling and I get to celebrate and the whole, every, the colors are clear. And for a few minutes, I, I worked hard for this and it's done. And see, I'm explaining it. It's not nearly as good as going, yes, you know, it's kind of like, Kind of like explaining sex to somebody, you know. I mean, I, it's good that you want to explain it, but it, you know, <laughs> you to be in it. <laughs> so yeah, where I wish I had a pair of glasses right here. The human male upon arousal. Yeah, that's fine. It's it's all going to be true, but it's not going to be very encouraging to want to you know repopulate the planet Earth if you explain it all the time, you know. Yeah. Working in uh, academia, working in writing, and then actually being in the weight room, coaching people, mm-hmm. you find you have to differentiate yourself when it comes to explaining. And the reason why I bring this up is not just the story you just told, but when I saw you do your presentation, because we had multiple people there the day of and the day before, I noticed different, um, different ways of explaining things. And I found that you were very animated. 
you were um, very, you use vocals really well. And you talked about your McGill stomp. And from a learning perspective, I always, I wish it was a joke. I had a tiny brain, but when you would explain things, I got it. I understood that. But I've also written, or I've also read a bunch of things you've written. You, you write a lot smarter than talk. So how do you differentiate, how do you differentiate the two when it comes to coaching someone versus, you know, staying in academia? Or Boy, that is really, really an interesting, I'm going to take that as a compliment, you know, because I don't want to yell at you in front of the gentle listeners, but yeah, I'm going to take that. Comp- so I basically, I sound like an idiot, but I'm actually a lot, I'm a lot less dumb than I sound. Oh, that's, uh, that's high oh, you make idiots like me understand you, put it that way. <laughs> so I think, uh, so I grew up with, I'll just tell you, I'll tell you what I think. I had a pretty rough speech impediment as a kid and um, it was tough and to overcome it is tough. And uh, I honestly think uh, I was given the gift of teaching. I, I honestly think that. And I, I worked very hard. I worked very hard on my craft. It, I don't, a day has never gone by where I haven't worked on my coaching, my teaching. I, I can't think, I, I, this is not hyperbole. I don't, I work on this every day. I'm, I'm writing a new book as we speak and I'm just, I'm, I'm before, I, I mean, I will look, I mean, I'll work on it for three or four or five hours and uh, pull up and go, whoa, that, that was that, where'd that day go? Um, so I work very hard. Um, now, years ago, I was at the Atlanta Sky Club. And I'm going to tell you, it's a, I had heard a story and I, I found out it was true. And I'm standing in line, I'm waiting to get some vegetable soup. And the guy in line turns around and it's Gary Player, the Masters golf champion from the early 1960s who was also a weight-trained athlete. He turns around, and I'm like this. You know, I'm so much bigger than him. And uh, I go, you're Gary Player. And he goes, you lift weights. And so the two of us talked about weightlifting for, and this is not exaggeration, 10 minutes, because um, it's the Atlanta airport, which is close to where the Masters is. So there's a lot of rich, white, middle-aged golfer men, and they look at they don't, they don't look very athletic. And some of the guys came up to me afterwards. You guys talk for so long. Uh, and I said, yeah, we talked about weightlifting. And I just want to know if this story is true. Okay, here's the story. And this is why it's important. One day, Gary Player was having a terrible game. And as he was leaving, he was just so angry. He's just sucking him. 18, you know, 18 rough holes, not a good day. And someone yells out, I would do anything to have your bad day. And the story goes, and player said it did happen. He stopped and he said, no, no, you wouldn't. You would not get out of bed while it's still dark and start hitting long drives. You would not hit drives until your hands bled. And then after that, practice putting and chipping and then go out and hit 36 holes and then go back and study each one of those 36 holes and then go back and practice some of the shots. You won't do it. It's interesting because there is uh, maybe it's, uh, somewhere in here. There's a book by Earl Nightingale has a very, very similar story. It comes down to what I'm trying to say is Chris is this. 
I, I think a lot of people could snatch 142.5 kilos clean 182.5 throw the discus 62 meters get multiple degrees be professors in two different fields and two different universities and i'm sure a lot of people think they could write a book but i gotta tell you you gotta write until your hands bleed and then when you finish you come back and you look at what you do and you rewrite it again so thank you for saying that but please understand that I do, I do think I was given the gift, but I also took that gift and I worked it really, really, really hard. That's super admirable. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to come on the podcast. It was obvious. It was obvious to me when I saw you speak, you know, what you do, why you do it. And uh, you spoke quite um, elegantly into the point, which I understood some people speak over people's heads. One of the things at that conference, and, and I could be wrong, and I'm not ripping on it, I felt like I was one of the few people to actually talk about training. You you were. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting in there, wait, and I kept, and I didn't know, I actually felt like I might have given the wrong talk. Was I supposed to talk about how to build your business or talk about, you know. I think the diversity was good. You know, yeah, okay. You know, for, for myself as a delegate sitting in there and saying, hey, I've got a business and I train people. So there was certain talks that resonated with me. And I said, okay, that I could take something from this. I can apply this from a business perspective. Yeah. But as a fitness professional, I don't like sitting. I mean, the, the, the two, three days of sitting was a lot. And at one point, I'm like, I want to get up. I want to move. I want to I see a little bit more activity and movement and stuff. And, and your presentation kind of filled that void, which was nice to see. So I uh, appreciate you know that. The, you know the comedian Steve Martin, mm -hmm. right? He has a point, and I, I would say this if you're trying to build a business, his point is be so good they can't ignore you. Yeah. And that's my, been my business model the whole time is to, um, well, <laughs> business model. I mean, I get to do what I like. <laughs> I'm like a second grader. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> A lot of people that listen to this podcast work in fitness, whether they're personal trainers, they're strength conditioning coaches. Some of them have been, you know, around for a long time, probably not as long as you, probably as long as me. And then some people are brand new. They might be in their first one to three. Yeah. So, you know, with the 30 plus, almost 40 years of doing this. It's 40. It'll be, this is my 43rd year of coaching. By the beard of Zeus. So 43 years of coaching. I'm sure you've learned a, a thing or two. Is there any tips or advice you'd give a novice trainer in the beginning? So if you're just starting to create, these are some things that I found successful you might yeah. be doing. Well, I, I think the biggest mistake you have is what you already know. Uh, you, most of you come in with these, uh, and I'm not even calling bodybuilding backgrounds. It's crappy building. I mean, it's bro, it's bro crap from the gym. You know, uh, most young trainers are way too into supplements, way too into upper body work and way too much into conversations about body composition, especially, and I don't even know what it is. It's, a, it's if you want to call it lean, whatever a crappy way to approach lean body mass is. So one of the things I recommend, I think it's, I think it's important, personally, I think you, you should be, you should have some kind of two or three day certification where you're live in place being taught. So that's why I'm such a big fan of kettlebell certifications. And I, I, I mean, in full candor, 
I'm a master in two organizations, but I teach them the Russian kettlebell certification. And the reason I push that is, okay, you'll learn how to use a kettlebell, but that's not it. You'll also find out that you squat funny and that you have a weird finish on your lift and because somebody else's eyes are on you. I believe strongly that if you coach yourself, you have an idiot for a client, right? I, I said that at the thing. So you need other eyes on you. I would suggest also early to get uh, John Berardi. Now, you got to be careful because he's one of them Canadians. Careful, John Berardi. Oh, boy, I tell you. I love John Berardi's Precision Nutrition Program. He's got that one for – I mean, I, I would – there's there's the one that you can just take the one where you do you do your own thing mm. that might be good enough for most people but and then there's another one where you actually get like a, a, a precision nutrition like a low level certificate but and then at some level you need to study recovery so a basic cert that reviews the fundamentals of human movements uh, some knowledge of nutrition some knowledge of recovery and then something I, I think I taught economics uh, for years. Um, and of course, I've always been involved in business somehow, but some kind of course, um, the great courses has a nice economics class. Um, you can, you probably could go to the library and get some really good business books. I mean, but business is really, <laughs> I, I, of all, it's funny because about, three quarters of what a typical personal trainer does is actually business related. It's accounting. Uh, it, 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 I mean, if you're an actual personal trainer, you probably clean diarrhea out of a toilet bowl. You've probably cleaned up someone's puke on a, on a mat. And that is the hardest stuff to clean up in the world. Uh, you've probably cleaned some windows. Floors are mine. It's even worse. Oh. Carpeted floors. Yeah, there you go. Um, you have to have accounting skills of some kind. I do this thing. I hire someone, but I still have to. I mean, this whole stack right there, that's this year's uh, tax stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you have to constantly invest in attracting new clients. You have to focus on uh, retention of clients. You know, so there are business things in being a personal trainer. And most of the people I know in personal training, the number of reason they fail is the business side. The biggest mistake you'd make is I'm going to charge a uh, hundred loonies an hour, excuse me, a hundred toonies an hour because I'm there worth it. There we go. <laughs> and uh, so to make more money, I'm going to, I'm going to have eight clients and to make more money than that, I'll have nine clients a day. And then to make more money than that, I'll have 10. You can't live like you cannot work eight, nine, 10 hours a day because you're missing all the business side of it, the retention side of it, the motivational side, the, the personal, your own personal development side. So getting back to this new person, um, do your best to pop your eyes open. Um, if you get a chance to sit down with somebody who specializes in plus 50 personal training, I would do that first mm. because well, that's what the market is. If you want to make a lot of money, your clients should all look like me. I don't know if they'd snatch or clean and jerk what you do, but maybe. maybe well, you know what I'm saying, 65, you know, 50 to 50 to wherever. That's what, I, 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 you know, I, just make me look good, make me feel good, make me move good, make me look good mm -hmm. and teach me good English. Um, 
excuse me, teach me well English. I'm sorry, ruin that. Um, that was a joke, all right, in case I, okay. Um, uh, after talking to somebody in, who specializes in post 50, realize that even your clients who are in their 20s, if they work a desk job, you should treat them like a post 50 year old because they're sitting in a chair all day and they're, they're getting broken as you sit there. Um, try to get yourself away if you can as a, a young personal trainer with an obsession of trying to look, you know, show your boobs and your butt on Instagram every opportunity you can. Um, do your best to not not make everything about body composition, have a whole other group of things like, you know, really be excited when somebody finally, I'm going to throw one out, a Turkish get up correctly. Be excited about that. When Edna finally moves from supported squats or whatever, you know, assisted squats to a, her first goblet squat with celebrate movement, celebrate, obviously celebrate looking good. Mm-hmm but also celebrate moving good too. Uh, your best advertising in this field is your clients. That's your best advertising. And, uh, you know, the people I work with, you know, I help a lot of personal trainers and I, I keep telling them, well, there's this guy who says he can get me a hundred more likes. Forget the likes. You have 10 clients right now. Eight of them think you're great. Two are leaving you because that's always the way it is. Um, those eight clients, as they walk out the door, they are selling you. They are, they are your, 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 those, those are your salespeople are, are your clients. So you have to kind of flip the script a little bit as a young personal trainer. Okay, so let's get back. Talk to somebody who specializes in 50-year-olds. Start to harvest the clients you have now. Doesn't mean you have to go out and have them sell. But remember that they are your product and um, you make sure you have a, a, I always do this. One of the first questions, um, it's, it's the third basic question I ask is how many pillows do you sleep? Do you need to sleep comfortably at night? Because don't ask my wife. You can't even find the blanket. We got so many pillows on my bed. I need one, just me, just so you know. Well, that means if if you're do my system, that means you are not a mobility client. So I wouldn't work it. I wouldn't worry about that. If I was working with you, we would do mobility, obviously, to keep it, but we're not going to push it. So, you know, we got to talk about their sleep habits. At some level, you should. You know, I mean, I I, I don't want to. One of the speakers I went thought a little bit too far on bowel movements, but bowel movements are a factor. Um, that was deep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ha, deep. Well played. <laughs> We went dark on the bowel movement discussion. Okay. Um, But, you know, you have to know about their sleep. Uh, They are going to lie to you about their nutritional habits because that's the thing. And then your job is to instill lifetime habits in them. And, and of course, that's that's my favorite part of when I work with with people is teaching them the lifetime habit stuff. Yeah. I love that. I think that really does push uh, uh, the mantra of longevity. And I think people are thinking that these days, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 10 pounds down, six pack, everybody knows it doesn't last forever. Right. But now the market is saying, Hey, what do you want to be at 40, 50? When I, when I started in fitness, I mean, the only people that bought trainers were like the wealthy, but now it's, it's very common for people to have a personal trainer or a personal health coach. 
some yeah. help carry them on into the next decade, decade after prenatal, postnatal, 60s, 70s, 80s, and so forth. So, uh, and, there's, and there's a need for some specialization. And I, I have a whole list of people I send you off to. You ask a question about uh, 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 pelvic pelvic issues with females, uh, all kinds of. I I boom, Sarah Smith. She's she's my expert. There's another one. Here's your expert. And I and uh, boy, there there is something that, that okay, that is something. I'm glad I thought of that. Um, a young personal trainer needs a network. Uh, I've recommended this for years that on the wall in your gym, that you have a doctor that you work with, you have an eye doctor that you work with, you have a dentist with you work with, and then you have a veterinarian that you work with because people won't care about themselves, but little fluffy gets sick. They want, but here's the thing. And I, in my phone, and it just chirped at me a minute ago. Um, if you have an eye problem, I pick up the phone. I call Dr. Keller. And I say, hey, um, my friend Chris here has a little issue. Can you can you see him? Set him right down. And so I have personal relationships with all those people. But I would also recommend if you're young, is if you're at a thing and you meet somebody who's an expert in pelvic floor, I think it's called pelvic floor health. I think that's what she calls it. But uh, my friend, Mike Warren Brown, he's an expert in geriatric personal training. Don't ask me questions about training 80 and 90 year olds. Ask him, you know, I mean, I'll tell you what to do, but I just, cause I steal it from him, you know, um, giving credit where credit's due too. Yeah. Barely, barely like he needs more credit. Uh, don't you love friends? So that's great for, for say, uh, like a, a new personal trainer, novice personal trainer, every person, every tidbits. Now at that conference, at that conference, there was a lot of experienced trainers. Still, I think you got the record though, for the most. So would you give a, what tips or advice would you give a person who's been training for say 15 plus years? You know, what are some things they might want to look out for or things they might want hmm. to do? Well, burnout, uh, it's going to be business issues. What's going to happen after 15 years is that the load, the business load is going to be it's going to begin to Sisyphus you. You're, you're going to feel like you're pushing that damn thing up a hill and every, you know, uh, after about 15 years, you should, you should be in a place where you're outsourcing things you don't like to do. So Mont is my accountant. And what I do is I drive up there and I throw them. I mean, I don't even slow down. I just throw the stuff out. You know. <laughs> Scramble for it. No. So, um, receipts. so i think you should have someone handle your taxes in general accounting um hiring a bookkeeper very inexpensive here i don't know what a a a bookkeeper is somebody who keeps your books and i know it sounds obvious but if you have the courage to every night take your receipts and put them in a stack and once a week drop that stack off if you take your bills by the way even having someone pay your bills um, you, you probably should sign your own checks or it should be done electronically, however you do it. But if you can have a bookkeeper, an accountant, and I'm not talking about full-time, I mean, not, not, um, what we said, um, you should have some kind of lawyer in re- after 15 years retained. Not that you have to, not that you're going to get sued, just so you can, you know, just, just in, in case. Mm-hmm. Um, after 15 years, you know, you should be par- fairly locked and loaded on things like insurance and stuff like that. 
I'm, I'm getting to an important point. So just give me, give me, because you know, I have to beat everything to death. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it would be nice if you hired professional cleaning staff. Uh, obviously, you're still going to have to do emergency cleanups, and that sucks. And maybe you could have even an emergency area in your gym for puking and diary and all this stuff. Okay. But everything else, you know, have a nightly cleanup crew. Well, and we'll just head on over to the vomit hole there after doing the prowler. You'll be okay. Yeah, the vomit hole. Okay. Uh, but then the number one thing after 15 years is you need personal development. So if you can, uh, people ask me, how, I, I do, I have this, I don't, outside of people who are way over the top, the complete outliers, but here's the thing, you would never listen to the, how they train somebody. I would say I do as well financially as anybody in the business. Okay. Um, I pay, I mean, I don't pay, I don't pay anything. But I have, a, I have a setup so that I can talk with you anytime you want. I can free up my day any way I want. Um, and part of the reason I do that is because I'm so serious about ongoing personal development. If you were to drive around in my car right now with me, you would listen to a new set of compact discs that I bought because my car still plays them. Uh, and it's, and it's not lead the field, but it's the follow-up to it by Earl Nightingale. And it's all about success. Uh, I go to workshops about success. I've gone to workshops. The number of workshops on actual weightlifting that I've attended in the seats, very low. The number of workshops I've attended about business and stuff like that, very high. Personal development, your own business, your own and here's the thing, and it's absolutely true. Uh, here in Salt Lake, there's these little, it's, it's been a tough years with the pandemic, but so for, it used to be about 39 bucks, but now they cost about 179 where these companies come in and they hire somebody to do the material. There are these eight hour mini conferences and they're about $179. Uh, one I went to is called Managing Multiple Priorities. And I came away with, I, I came away with a couple ideas that, I mean, it was a $39 conference. And at the end of it, I started doing maybe one or two of the things that I learned. And that's it. I'm not a huge fan of that daily. You remember when the, everyone had their day planners and you couldn't even talk to somebody. This is, these are, here are my day planners. For those of you who are listening, it's just pieces of paper. I just write down. I have a calendar, obviously, but it's like I have a to-do list. One of them was this, is if, if you're working for somebody and they say, "Here," I always say, I need to know, okay, so you're going to, so Chris, you're going to bring me up to speak. Okay. And, and, and I'm going to, it's hard to get into Canada sometimes, but I'm going to come up to speak. So. Uh, one of the things I'm asking, what do you want me to talk about? You're going to say the movement matrix. How many hours? Four. Okay. When I get there, you say, oh, we decided to have another speaker. And uh, we only have two hours. I'll stop you in your tracks and say, okay, you told me four. Now you want two. So it's not going to be, it's not will be what we agreed on. Okay. You need to know that I can't get through all the material you asked me to in two hours. See how that worked? How simple that was? Mm-hmm. Direct. That was the number one thing I learned. If you change plans, 
I hold you accountable for the change of plans. Not very, not very fancy. But that $79, $39, whatever the hell it was, taught me that skill. And I was able to get through bad bosses my whole career by sitting down. I remember one time with this one guy who I didn't like as a principal. And I said, well, okay. And I had, and I had it all written out and I even had it color coded. I said, as your department, as a department head, as department head, you got, you told us at our, our August meeting to focus on one, two, three. And, and now because of this little change, uh, you're adding four, five, and six, which is different, which is fine. But where do you want me to put this? Is that more important than he asked us to visit every one of our faculty members once a month? They have no idea how hard that is. Eight, eight, one hour commitments a month as a teacher. I mean, that's two classes a week. I had to be either on my free periods or get covered. Mm-hmm. Well, that I was the only person to do it the first two months. And the rest are like, there's no way we can do this. You know, we need this is a full-time job. And I said, so do you want me to move this number one here that you have and put in this number four, which is, he hated, hated my guts after that because I called him out. I didn't call him out for his bullshit or anything like that. What I did is I said, you're asking me to have multiple priorities. Which one's the most important? Because everything can't be important. So after a certain period in your career, your job and is important, uh, is good, is you need to rethink your multiple, you need to rethink your priorities in a business. Um, I have a couple of friends who now have gyms, um, kind of like the Caddyshack thing where the kid says, uh, um, yeah, you own some uh, lumber yards. Right. And you don't seem to hang around there. And Chevy Chase says, well, I don't really know where they are. Um, as you know, as a business owner, you can walk away after 15 years from a whole bunch of the day-to-day stuff that happens in your facility. And if you have to be there after 15 years, I would blame you. You didn't do your own personal development, nor did you do a very good job on staff development, nor did you do a good job on hiring an accountant, hiring a bookkeeper, hiring a cleaning. If you're there at 10 o'clock every night cleaning your place and it's caused you five divorces and your kids don't know your name, that's on you. I think there's a lot of uh, carriers away from there. Just talking about uh, earlier, earlier dates as a trainer and that you need to really, you know, invest in the business side of stuff, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. three quarters of it is business. And I love the idea of your, your marketing is your clients, your eight out of 10, as you said, and you yeah. like them. And then as a senior trainer and they move up and on is you got to get your business skills up and you got to take care of yourself and you got to have self-development, self-learning, hence meeting in conferences and such like that. So I I really do appreciate that. Um, uh, What is going on right now with you? You got two websites on the go. What's uh, what's the newest thing? Are you writing a book specifically? Yeah, Yeah, I'm rewriting uh, Easy Strength. Okay. And, uh, And today, and today I got the title for it. Uh, I was going to call it the easy strength opus, but I thought that was stupid. I was going to call it the easy strength compendium, which I thought was brilliant. But the book that changed my life was J.K. Doherty's The Track and Field Omnibook. And um, in that book, I read about Ralph Mon at Utah State University. And I told my sister in the ninth grade, I want to throw the discus for Ralph Mon at Utah State University. So in as a nod to J.K. Doherty, who I never met, 
and Ralph Mon. I want to call it the Easy Strength Omnibook. That's phenomenal. When's it coming out? Uh, probably fall. Um, Lurie, my my publisher, just lost her husband. Uh, Dave Draper, uh, he was Mr. Universe. He was in uh, Don't Make Waves, The Monkees. Uh, what was it? He was on the Beverly Hillbillies. He was a very famous American uh, bodybuilder. That was her husband, Dave. He just died. A good friend of mine. And so she's, so she's finishing, uh, she's finishing two big projects now and dealing with Dave's death. And then in the fall, we'll publish, we'll publish that. The only downside is every day I don't publish a book means I write another, yesterday I wrote 19 pages. So yesterday, I, <laughs> rough to me, yesterday, yesterday I had two podcasts. I worked out, I coached. Oh, what else did I do yesterday? I had a couple other things I did and in the middle. Uh, so I, you know, I did my snatches and clean grip snatches yesterday. And then, and then I wrote 19 pages and I also played with my grandkids. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Good day. Dan, you, you offer so many different things on multiple websites and you and I are already talking off, off camera here. We're going to put a, a discount code for any of my listeners here who want to check you out, whether it's using your, your custom program generator, mm-hmm. purchasing some of your books, your courses and so forth yeah. so in, in the show notes here. So I just lastly like to say, I appreciate you taking your time sharing your 43 years of wisdom in this, you know, 50 minute <laughs> conversation. And as a, not a new and not a experienced trainer, I'm right in the middle. Um, I took a whole bunch away and I uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. And, you know, and again, if your listeners have questions, uh, Dan at danjohn.net, let's just hold it for here. Make people who have sat through it. Dan at danjohn.net. And Chris, we'll, you'll uh, assess that I answer everything, right? Yes, that's one of the things I love about you. And uh, you said that at the conference. You said, hey, anyone here ever send me an email? Did I get back to you? Yes. Anyone ever call me? Did I get back to you? Yes. And that's why I was like, I'm going to message this guy right now and see if he wants to come on my podcast. And you got yeah. back to me very quickly. And I appreciate that. Right. And I think, and if you don't mind, uh, let me role model that to Chris as how, how you might be, you'll be the Canadian Dan John, you know, except not as good looking, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's not just but, good either. So I gotta work on but, that. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, uh, I think I get more followers by answering questions and being present when I'm answering questions than I do by flexing my pythons, my armacondas, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, you can fall in love with the BS for a while, but then it catches up to you. Agreed. And uh, this, 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 our industry is filled with shysters and liars, and I don't want to be one of them. You definitely aren't. Thanks, my friend. Uh, we're going to, we're going to meet up again. You're going to, we're going to redo this in a month or two. Okay. Love it. Fantastic. Right. You Thank bet. You so much, Thank you. I got to bounce. I got to go. Uh, I got to go to a meeting. So same here. Bye, Dan. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.